Welcome to, again, right now, all of the episode numbers are probably a little bit screwed up. We don't really know where we are. We're somewhere around episode number six, but we've recently started splitting the show off. So we have, uh, what do we have? We have the practical knowledge and we have what are we calling it like the facts one where like voltaire rigging the lottery interesting fact interesting facts one i think the other episode we will air before this one maybe actually probably not given that we just recorded it but we had some microphone issues so we this is way too much information we're basically splitting it off if you're hearing this twice i apologize basically our initial idea when we were starting this show was to do like the variety show side of things where it'd be like hey we do a bit of that we do a bit of this but then people were like it's really different when you guys are talking about youtube or interviewing someone compared to when you're talking about voltaire rigging the lottery the idea is Mm -hmm. we are from this point forward we're splitting the show off so we're doing two shows a week one is what you're hearing today which is the Voltaire rigging the lottery fun facts thing, although you're not hearing about Voltaire rigging the lottery. That's just the example I always go to. We are talking about the origins of some really big, the interesting origin stories of some really big businesses and and fun stuff there. Yeah. Is that about right? Did I did I kind of encapsulate that well? Yeah, so for, so everything will be more or less as it was before. We were just splitting it off. So like the, you'll get all the same content if you liked both. Uh, you'll get it all uh, the same thing. But now it'll be split off into separate episodes. So the people who like one or the other can just listen to those and ignore the rest. And it's also, you know, less intimidating. You know, you don't see a two-hour thing. It'll probably just be like an hour. And of course, like the practical knowledge section will also, sometimes that will we'll do an interview with like some, you know, business person or whatever to, you know, they can give tips and stuff. That's important to mention. The, the- the interview stuff that we've done that'll be in the the other one so this will be purely you know very much today i found out style you know like we do on the youtube channel just in in this format the yeah. podcast. and all format. of it all of it the the idea behind all of it is it is somewhat educational but the practical knowledge or interview section is going to be that little more free form you know chat type thing and the uh, the main interesting fact part will be a little bit more tighter still still a chat but uh, a little bit more tightly um put together yeah that's 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 everything should we jump into a little bit of feedback before i mean uh, the main feedback was guys split off the show we uh we yeah. we need that but we could get into a little bit more feedback about uh we could go through some reviews should we hit some reviews yeah yeah so okay a lot of uh, people have uh, been reviewing lately which is nice thank you we appreciate it i think we're up to i always check on the u.s itunes store because that's obviously the you know the biggest podcast platform and the biggest audience so i think we got like 45 reviews ish on there now mm-hmm. which is yeah. which is definitely good we would love to get to 100 reviews on itunes because that does many good things one it means itunes is more likely to get this podcast in front of more people which means that we will make more podcast episodes because you know we like it when people listen to our stuff so if you can review that really helps us out also it you know let us know what you think don't just automatically jump to a five star i mean if you want automatically jump to a five star (laughs) review that is more than welcome but you know offer us some feedback tell us what you like what you don't like uh or just uh, join our forum at forums.todayifoundout.com to to also do that yeah anything you want to add there should we should we read some specific reviews um yeah sure let's do it so thank you to and and i swear people use like unpronounceable names but i think it's like fly supper fly guy man fly supper what do you fly you see this fly supper fly mm-hmm. nah. uh anyway yeah. this this dude says or this girl says uh i find this podcast to be delightfully interesting and engaging listening to the banter between simon and dave and is reminiscent of hanging out with your brightest funniest friends from school there we go how about that if only i was actually yeah. bright and funny in school <laughs> chapman 1974 says this podcast is my favorite podcast as of right now so we're ripe to be replaced but we appreciate the sentiment <laughs> for now chapman that's that's yeah. great 
Yes. And then the current drum corps member says, what's a drum corps? Do you know what a drum corps is? I assume like a marching band or something like that. There you go. So the, the drum part of it. If they want their, if they want their username on iTunes to stay current, they have to stay in that drum corps forever because they're current yeah. drum corps member. Uh, they say most enjoyable podcast on the platform. And by platform, I really hope they're referring to like iTunes rather than the website yeah. or something because there's, you know, that's a much more limited selection of podcasts. <laughs> Uh, so thank you everyone who has reviewed us yes uh, so we do hope to get to our 100 podcasts when we do we're going to give away a, 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 an iTunes gift card an Amazon a Amazon <laughs> gift card right those those are better yeah. um, to uh, someone chosen at random so a $100 Amazon gift card what did I say first first you just said Amazon gift oh, card yeah no $100 yeah. it seemed appropriate yeah. maybe at 200 reviews yeah. we'll do a $200 Amazon gift card and yeah. at like 3,000 yeah, reviews we'll start getting really scale. scale yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well <laughs> technically it does I mean hopefully at 3,000 reviews we'll have some although $3,000 will be a really expensive giveaway yeah yeah, uh, yeah so we'll be giving away a, a $100 gift card to one of the first 100 viewers on I, I don't want to like discriminate but iTunes is like the biggest platform so and if we went across yeah. every platform platform it would be impossible so if you want to hit us up on itunes with a review that would be awesome and you can win a 100 gift card when we get to 100 reviews we'll pick someone at random it doesn't matter if you do like a five star or a one star review although it would be a really awkward email if the person who person who won was like you guys suck and i'll be like hi yeah so you gotta you won the gift card um <laughs> well maybe we'll win them over with you know bribery right you know if, if you can't win them over with quality just win them over with bribery that's that's the motto of my yeah. of my life and then we'll do a couple of runners up at $25 each so I, I, that's a, I is that an appealing giveaway I think it is like it's a one in a hundred chance of winning it's a hundred dollar gift card I, I, I'd yeah, do that's that not, that's not bad no. yeah like what's the lottery like one in like uh, 72 million or whatever although I suppose then you've you know yeah. that's 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 a lot more money but I bet I bet ours by scale is better should we move right into uh what we're actually doing yeah. in this show it seems we're about good. time we're about seven minutes in that's, yeah uh, <laughs> We're going to be talking about the interesting origins of some a few very big businesses and sort of, I mean, not just going through their whole origins because that would take forever and probably not be very interesting, but the sort of the interesting facts surrounding the origins a little bit, which um, some of them. So we got like Domino's Pizza and let's see FedEx and KFC. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, UPS, UPS, as, UPS as well. UPS, the KFC one is a, is a beast. I'm looking at the notes here and I'm familiar yeah. with the story of KFC. Uh, it's a great. I wanted to go so much more. Like I almost thought I wanted to break this off into its own thing because there's so much there with KFC. The the Colonel Sanders was just like a really really colorful individual that was I don't know. I don't think he would have done well in modern times with like <laughs> uh, the outrage over like. Oh he, tease he, tease. What's what's coming up? Oh uh, well, well I I don't actually put a lot of those, but he's got some quotes out there that are just like wow. Yeah, he just says whatever comes to his mind. You know, almost uh, not in the not in what he's saying, but a little bit in the style of just like like a donald trump where he just says whatever's on his mind you know no filter so colonel whatsoever. sanders wouldn't have twitter wouldn't have been kind to colonel sanders no or or really <laughs> kind because you know some people just really like that you know just out there people just say it they just say it how it is you know whatever's on his mind that's appealing to some people but he definitely would have had controversial quotes a lot uh, but yeah he was a really colorful character and and worthy of i don't know that's that's why he's the the kfc's the longest section on this one because there's just a lot of fun stuff in there i, I want to google right now whether there's a twitter account for someone who just does like colonel sanders <laughs> like they just take on it yeah i love these like Quotes. fake ones yeah. <laughs> yeah just like quotes or like things 
that he would say like based on his you know uh biography or whatever that'd be great but we're not starting with him he's he's kind of at the end right he's he's, he's at the end we're gonna start with the, one of my favorite articles on today i found out was is this one and i just pulled it short it was just like a few paragraphs but just a hilarious story on domino's pizza their uh, origin uh, there's something about a beetle right i i remember this one yeah yeah, that's just it's just ridiculous because okay, so in 1961, uh, there was two brothers, Tom and James Monahan, and they purchased a restaurant called Dominic's for five hundred dollars, which is about forty one hundred dollars today. Mm-hmm. Um, so they ran this thing together for as just a complete partnership for about eight months. And at that point, James Monahan got the bright idea to trade his entire stake in the company for a used Volkswagen Beetle. All right, um, yeah. So and now, now granted at this point the business is probably not you know worth a lot and at, at the time so I couldn't actually find out what year what model it was well, you know what year this Volkswagen Beagle but I looked it up and so like in the early 1950s a new a brand new Volkswagen Beetle would cost you about thirteen hundred dollars which is about thirteen thousand dollars today and a yeah. late 1950s model would be run you about two thousand dollars which is about seventeen thousand dollars today so you know a used one's going to be a little bit less than that so you know it's not that expensive technically I'm assuming he owns half of the business this wasn't actually a yeah. terrible decision i mean it was a bad decision actually no yeah, even in the I mean, day even in the day it was a bad decision unless the business really went downhill in the first eight months yeah presumably it must have done well enough to keep going at that point he must have just decided not to not to keep not he didn't want to do it and didn't want to make pizzas or whatever but so after this trade within five years uh the remaining monahan tom monahan he had expanded to opening a second store and within 10 years of that he had opened 200 domino's pizza uh, uh, in the country, in the US. And then five years after that, there was over a thousand. And then today there's like 14,000 Domino's pizzas and it brings in about $2.5 billion annually. So, wow. Uh, <laughs> that was a really expensive beetle. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, and Tom, the Tom Monahan, at the uh, 38 years after the the Beetle trade, actually sold um, what was it, uh, 93% of his his stock in the company for a billion dollars. Wow. Yeah, that, that was a really, yeah, so really. Can really you just imagine though? Like you're probably sitting around the little family get togethers, you know, getting together for Thanksgiving, just like, hey, how's that beetle running? This is, well, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, so he sells this like after eight months. And, yeah. But then the question arises, would James have been so successful if Tom hadn't like abandoned yeah. him? Because you always think like, if I'm in, if I'm in James's position yeah. and like me and my brother, we started this company together and I'll be like, you know, it's a pizza restaurant. It can be as small or as big as you want. It's, you know, you can yeah. have a single location and it can be a successful business or you can be Domino's. So maybe yeah, like exactly. his whole leaving is what made it successful. Well, that doesn't make it any better. That yeah. just makes it much worse. Because <laughs> you're like, yeah, Tom, well, it- your leaving made me successful. Because I was like, I got to do this now. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, presumably if his, if his input, you know, if his input was bad, then it wouldn't have grown. But like, had they been sort of on the same page, presumably it would have grown the same as it would have anyway. So uh, Wow, that's... Uh, oh, and a little bonus fact, the Domino's Pizza, so if you've ever wondered why there's three dots on there, uh, he initially, Tom Monahan thought, okay, so every new store I open, I'll put a new dot. So uh, they sort of stopped the logo at the three stores because it obviously quickly became impractical, impractical to continue uh, adding dots for... Well, how many stores, stores did you say they had today? Like a thousand? Uh, 14,000, but oh. like within, within just 10 years of starting it, they had 200 locations, so... Yeah, quickly that became not a thing, but that's why it has three dots because he did for the first three stores, and then he just abandoned that idea and just left it. Probably a good idea to abandon that eventually. This is this is yeah. interesting. We had Domino's 
just a couple of weeks ago yeah. together yeah. even though we record this from other sides of the world it was slightly disappointing yeah they they, they didn't um, bring us our food right no and then they brought us the what was it we had like uh we had the pizza we had those chicken pieces and then instead of picking up mayonnaise they had picked up like the sweet candy sauce <laughs> yeah. which is also white yeah. for like cinnamon sticks and yeah. you were like this smells a little bit sweet and i'm like ah maybe it's like a weird mayonnaise i'll I'll give it a go so i dip that chicken piece into that into the what i thought was sweet sweet weird mayonnaise nope it was just fully (laughs) sugar syrup and that was a bad experience well and i also wonder like why is ranch not a thing in europe because it's, um, I mean, Europeans love the mayonnaise and ranch is a mayonnaise based, it's sort of uh, item. So, and it, it's delicious to, deli- to dip uh, chicken in and whatnot. This is just bizarre to me. To me, I'm not, I'm not, I, I know you told me before, but I've already forgotten what exactly ranch is. It's like mayonnaise with sour cream and spices. Is yeah, that right? Basically. Okay. Yeah, with some spice and it's delicious and perfect for like, it's very popular on salads and dipping, you know, chicken, dip carrots, vegetables, whatever. It's delicious. And uh, yeah, it's, not a thing in europe apparently at least tell you what before we record the next episode i'm gonna make some ranch what's next are we done with dominoes or uh yeah we're gonna move on to the ups this this is a great story i like this one just because it's so like starting from nothing and then just this is like one of the biggest companies in the world here so in 1907 it was august 28th an 18 year old by the name of claude ryan and a 19 year old by the name of jim casey mm-hmm. decided to start a company together just two teenagers presumably fresh out of school or you know i don't know sometimes people back then went to the workforce quickly but uh in any event still quite young they decided uh, they had a bike one bike and the hundred dollars they borrowed from a friend and that's about twenty four hundred dollars today and they just started what the company they called it the american messenger company in seattle washington mm-hmm. um, so kind of my neck of the woods there and uh yeah they ran it out of a hotel basement in main street in seattle yeah and their business their idea was at the time uh most people didn't have phones so people were sending telegrams all over the place and so they would just hand deliver the telegrams it was like a simple simple business idea nothing complicated about it they had a bike and a little bit of money so so um, hang on, so a telegram doesn't that come into like an office i i know this is such a definitely before yeah. our times but isn't a telegram just like uh you know like an old school text message wouldn't that like arrive to like a, a secretary in an office in your office uh, was, rather? i think so you would deliver it to so the telegraph office right would get the message and then the person you would go from there the physical message would be written down and then transported they would take it to ah to so where, it would happen wherever to like it a, needs to go like a central so there'd be like communication yeah. centers and it would be electronically yeah. transferred and then it would be yeah because ah. most people didn't have like a telegraph in their home so it would just like yeah there was a telegraph office you would go there send a message or they would receive and they would deliver it or whatever so they yeah that's what they did they just decided they got a bike and a little bit of money and so they just started going delivering that was basically their business for a while um, and they kind of switched to casey and ryan would man the phone you know taking all the stuff and then um they had casey's brother george and a bunch of teenagers making a lot of the deliveries and stuff and then so it was just a few years later <laughs> it's just yeah, like this is just, ah labor laws <laughs> yeah 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 so like such a humble beginning and then just a few years later they merged their company they were doing quite well they merged it with their rival merchants parcel delivery and took the uh that that they took that name uh-huh. um and in the process of the merger they acquired a few motorcycles and a model a ford model t so they wow. could start you know doing a little uh wider range than they could get on their bike and on foot and then of course at this time one of the problems they were having was a lot of more people were having telephones and so that their little 
Telegram uh, business wasn't doing as well. So they switched to delivering customers' purchases to their homes. So you go buy something from the store and they'll use their Ford Model T or motorcycles to deliver it. And that is sort of how they got to package delivering. So was like a um, was there a regular postal service at this time? Or was these they yeah, kind the of like... Yeah, postal service exists, yeah. But these guys but, are more uh, like I, couriers, right? Kind of urgent delivery. Yeah, so I mean, it wasn't like a postal. So you could you could just probably, I presume, you'd call them and then just say, "Hey, I ordered this thing from this store. Can you go get it for me and bring it to my place?" Because um, you know, uh, so at this time, a lot of people wouldn't even own a car or anything. So it was a it was a nice service um, if you didn't want to carry some big heavy item from a store to your home. Yeah, it's it's interesting where we have pretty much identical businesses like this today. It's like yeah. where the store will deliver something, or you know, the the courier will come and pick it up, or like a man with a van. Yeah, yeah. and so they just continually aggressively expanded. And by 1962, which was, what was that, about a little under a half century later, Mm -hmm. they had grown to operating in 31 U.S. states delivering packages with annual revenues of $550 million and about 22,000 workers. Like, that's just an amazing growth. And, yeah, uh, and that's 1960s, yeah, they were, 550 million. Yeah, so, and today it's actually, UPS is worth about $91 billion and does wow. annual revenue at about $65 billion per year off that, you know, is a little over a century ago. This just like a couple teenagers like, hey, we got a bike. Let's go deliver some telegrams. It's just crazy. That's incredible. That's, that's, I, I love these stories. It's, it's yeah. nice and inspirational. So now we're going to move from UPS to FedEx, which FedEx has a kind of a, I was surprised how recent uh, FedEx was started. Like it wasn't the, really that long ago. It was in the early 1970s. Um, which is just, that's just crazy. I mean, that's not that long ago for such a massive company. In my but, mind, FedEx and UPS, really similar companies, right? Yeah, uh, FedEx is a little bit no, more known for like their overnight stuff. Um, and they're, they're um, not as good delivery people. Because in certain regions, they do, they don't actually, all, their employees are not always the people who deliver. Some you can, they contract out. So you can uh, put in a bid, say, yeah. I'll cover this region. Yeah. And so you kind of get a little hit or miss sometimes on your delivery people win those. But I think in their overnight stuff, I think is all their employees. I could be wrong. But anyways, getting off topic here. FedEx did not have a, um, a humble beginning. So as Frederick Smith, he took his personal fortune of about $4 million. <laughs> <laughs> And in the early 1970s, so what would that, I don't know, what would that probably be? Uh, at least. 10, 15 million or oh, something? Oh, at least, yeah. Yeah, and then he raised an additional $90 million. Uh, <laughs> so they were starting out with about $100 million to start a company where he, the whole idea here was to fill a gap, fill a need where he thought it would be possible to deliver a package anywhere in the world overnight and he thought it could be done and he actually wrote a paper on this in 1962 it was about a decade earlier when he was at Yale Um, he wrote a paper on um, it was titled overnight delivery service in a computer information age just sort of how this could be possible and as a side note here he he noted uh, it's it's often said that he got a C on this paper but that's actually not a thing really he said that the this rumor kind of came from a quote where he said I don't know what grade I got probably made my usual C. Um, so then that kind of stemmed that he got a C and it was like a joke, like this, you know, massive billion dollar company now was the idea, got a bad grade, but you know, he it makes It makes for it. a nice quote, like, you know, that the other false yeah. ones, like Einstein failing mathematics and all of this stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, nice. No. So yeah, he didn't, he was actually pretty exceptional at mathematics, as you might <laughs> expect. <laughs> yes. So this is like, FedEx started much later, but boy, that 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 like 94 million pounds, uh, million yeah. dollars uh, of money to, to kick things off, that's, that's certainly an advantage yeah it worked out for him yeah. and then but but 
It wasn't all, it didn't all go well because um, largely due to rising fuel costs, they started to have a problem. They were on the verge of bankruptcy, losing almost a million dollars a month just three years later, right? So, and this is where this story, I think the interesting part here is at its low point, they had just about $5,000 to their name and they were going to go bankrupt. They were trying, he was desperately trying to get loans. No one would give him a loan um, for any more money. He's already burnt through 94 million. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And losing a million dollars a month, that doesn't go over well when you're trying to get a loan or get investors to jump on board. So He's a loan yeah, sharks so, or something. What did he do? Yeah. So he, he was on a, a business trip trying to get um, some investors to jump on board. They said no. And so he had $5,000 and they they did not have, that wasn't enough to cover their fuel for, to, I mean, their planes were going to be grounded on Monday when they were supposed to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was like, so that's it, you know, for the company, at least. I mean, they could probably go into bankruptcy protection and, you know, maybe emerge. But, you know, it was not a good time. And so he, rather than jump on board a plane to go back home, he decided to take to go to Las Vegas and use that company funds, the last $5,000 to gamble to try to make the money that they would need to get the planes off the ground. And then he would use, you know, his time Uh, the next week to try to get more investors. Well, I guess in a way, if you're screwed either way, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to lose that $5,000 anyway when we go bankrupt tomorrow. Or I can just do something you know, just gamble it away. There's a potential for some legal problems though, right? Like if someone, some other stockholders were like, hey, though, you can't just take company funds, but it ended I imagine, up- this- I imagine if it didn't go well and then they did yeah. go bankrupt, there would be some creditor who eventually they, you know, someone like fifth in line or whatever, who's not getting any yeah. money back. And they're like, did you gamble away the $5,000 that I was supposed to get? And they'd be like, hey, FedEx man, you're paying for that out of your own pocket. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, this was exactly his attitude, though. He had a quote um, when asked about this. He said, what difference does it make without the funds for the fuel companies? We couldn't have flown anyway. Right. So What's he got? Exactly- He's got nothing to lose. He's got, and that's what he thought. He goes, he plays blackjack for the weekend, comes back on Monday, and suddenly there's $32,000 in their account. Uh, and it wow. was enough to cover the fuel. For, and then he, very quickly, it was just a few days later, he managed to get some investors to jump on board, raising an $11 million, $11 million um, and that kept the company afloat long enough where they started to actually make a profit. And it wasn't that long. 1976 was their first year, um, or their first profit. They made $3.6 million. And then just four years later, they were up to $40 million. Dollars um, profit with a gross revenue of about a half a billion dollars, and today FedEx is actually worth about sixty-five billion dollars, and Smith himself is worth <laughs> about five billion. So he did well. Yeah. So that that gamble, though, I mean, that was his entire personal fortune, uh, and uh, yeah, down to five thousand dollars, and won it all. <laughs> kept the company going with blackjack. Do we know what his Do we know uh, what his personal fortune was? Like he, he put in four million of his own. Do you know Do you know where that he, was supposedly pretty much his whole his whole personal fortune? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't like every dime he had but uh yeah and presumably if the company was in that much trouble and was down to five thousand if he had money you'd think he would have put the money in right like that's a thing he would have done if he had it if he had and they, he only needed to raise an additional twenty seven thousand before them they had enough for the fuel so if he had the money presumably he would have put it in right yeah his father made his money from what eventually became greyhound that is interesting yeah um, well i was like when someone's got a for- fortune of four billion yeah that, uh, four million that they could just throw into something i'm like where does this come from <laughs> yeah not long after you know they go to yale you know sl- not long after graduating yeah yeah yeah. okay there you go yeah not so uh, humble beginnings but uh but did get a little humbled at one point yeah and even if you don't have humbled beginnings if you make a thousand times your original investments in yeah what 30 years that's a pretty solid return yeah you did well either way 
Now we're going to move on to KFC, which is uh, Harlan Sanders, who was born all the way back in 1890, actually, which is just kind of crazy. I, I didn't think he was that, that old when he died. Huh. Well, I mean, is it just me or like maybe it's just me? But in my mind, for a long period, it's one of those things that you kind of were familiar with, but you never really looked up. It was probably like me being a pre-internet, you know, kid. And I was like, mm-hmm. is this actually a real dude? Like, or is yeah, he just... Yeah, that's true. You know, just like a brand. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we should definitely start off by saying he was a real person. He was a real... Which actually, another uh, side fact, Chef Boyardee was a real person as well. Which that one surprised me. Oh, that one really surprised me. I thought for sure he he wasn't, but uh, no, he had an interesting. Uh, we should cover him. I don't know why I didn't put him on those lists. That would have been a good one. But anyways, we're, we'll stick with the KFC. Hold on, I got another one. The dude, yeah. uh, Paul Newman, the salad dressing guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Same dude as Paul Newman, the racing driver. Same dude as Paul Newman, the movie star. And isn't uh, the the salad dressing right? Don't don't like all the proceeds go to charity. That's like a big thing. I had no idea. I thought yeah. this was crazy. That's it. That that makes the story even cooler. There you go. Uh, so hard. Sanders, 1890, born in um, September 9th. Uh, his father passed away when he was six, so that wasn't good. And his mother had to obviously take jobs to make ends meet. And mm-hmm. he took over taking care of his two younger siblings, including how he learned first to cook, which became like uh, the big thing, obviously, for his life mm-hmm. going forward. Um, so, yeah. And then he he just worked like an amazing, no- like talk about humble beginnings and then being humbled uh, later. So he worked like an amazing number of jobs, like started work- workforce at the age of 10 as a farm hand earning two dollars a month which is about 55 dollars today and then uh yeah 15 he was working as a streetcar for streetcar taking fares 16 um he, 16 he actually got some forged paperwork and joined the army and then went to cuba because he just wanted like an adventure and then for some reason three months he only served for three months before being honorably discharged in cuba oh. um so yeah 16 and then and then just the next couple decades he just took he was a railroad worker mm-hmm. insurance salesman a country lawyer which is kind of a, a term for like a lower end lawyer who just someone like who passed the bar but didn't actually not really formally educated necessarily uh and then so you have like uh he was a steamboat ferry operator a tire salesman a fireman uh, somehow secretary of the chamber of commerce in columbus indiana most significantly to his uh, eventual story is he for six years he was the operator of a gas station mm-hmm. uh, which was uh his longest tenured job before he he uh went with the restaurant business but this business closed due to the great depression <laughs> so um so here he was he was ni- 1930. He's about 40 years old. He's completely broke. He's done and, a uh, lot before he was 40. Wow. I'm yeah. like, so he's old by now, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. And this is, yeah, this is the great thing about his story. Like, it's just like continual failure and then just like, you know, makes it eventually. Yeah. Uh, so 1930, 1930, at the age of 40, he's broke, um, you know, taking a million different jobs. And he finally, you know, he had now run a gas station, so he knew how to do that. And so he made a deal with a Shell oil company, allowed him to live at a gas station if he agreed to operate it. Okay. Um, and so he does that. And this is this is kind of showing some of the stuff I was talking about his personality before. So while he's running this, yeah, the, the there's a neighboring gas station run by Standard Oil and a station worker named Matt Stewart was running it. Yeah. And uh, so this guy, they didn't get along because they're they're rivals and and Harlan Sanders was not a guy to to I don't know he he was known to get a little rowdy sometimes. So as the as the tensions mounted, <laughs> What's he gonna Matt, do? Matt Stewart makes the big mistake of painting over the Shell Oil sign. Like there's this there was this wall right that would advertise yeah. where the Shell Oil and he went and painted painted over it and did the Standard Oil you know instead. And so this this did not go well with Sanders and Sanders threatened to blow his head off. And uh, <laughs> turns out wasn't an idle threat. 
Wow. Um, oh, no. Yeah. At first, Sanders repaints it. Um, yeah. you know, for his own advertisement. And then, so he, he, one day after this happens, he's Wait, meeting he with threatens two... him first or then he re, he's just like, he repaints, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to blow your head off after I've repainted this sign. Yeah. Well, he's like, I think it was more of like, if you do this again, I'm going to blow your head off. Uh-huh. And so he's, so Sanders repainted it. And now he's, he's sitting there with two district managers from Shell uh, discussing their thing. And then he, what does he see off in the distance, but the sign being repainted once again. <laughs> And so, naturally, the two Shell executives and Sanders grabbed their guns. And they went out to confront Mr. Stewart about the thing. And when Stewart saw them coming, he pulled out his gun and started shooting at them. And so they started Whoa. shooting back. Whoa! Yeah, and, Wait, these, and, two, these two executives just rolling up? Just that is like... Of course, it's, yeah. yeah, we just so happen to have our guns with us as well. This is yeah. convenient. Let's go get in a gunfight. Yeah, over this painted sign with the rival gas station. So uh, in the in the process of the gunfight, Stewart actually killed one of the Shell district managers. And Sanders grabbed the gun and shot Stewart. I think he hit him twice. He shot him twice, but uh, he did not kill him. Although Stewart, the, the gunfight ended when Stewart was like, you've killed me. He, he just shouted this out because he, he knew he was shot a couple times. He thought he was dead, man. Uh, turns out he didn't die. But um, so Sanders, he didn't get in trouble for this at all because Stewart okay. shot first. <laughs> and so and Stewart had killed a man. So Stewart actually did go to prison. He got an 18 year prison sentence, but he actually died two years later, killed by a deputy sheriff. And the rumor was that the sheriff had been paid by the the um, the family of the guy. Then the guy that died was named Robert Gibson. And apparently he was quite wealthy. And his family, the rumor was that the family paid the, the sheriff to kill Stewart. And While so Stewart, he, was in yeah, prison. he died. Yeah, he died two years and the sheriff didn't get any charges against him. So I don't know. I, maybe there was no evidence of an actual thing. Maybe it was just a rumor. So, sorry, so just hold up. So there's a lot of murder going on. Yeah. We have these two groups. One, The dude's painting over the sign. The two executives and, and the colonel, they go out. Yeah. Uh, the sign painting over the sign dude for Standard Oil kills one of them. They fire back. They injure him badly. He goes to prison. And then the executive's family, who the guy shot, have him killed in prison. That's the, I mean, the latter part was the rumor was what happened because apparently it was a suspicious, why suspicious circumstances. But yeah, no charges against the deputy sheriff. So maybe, maybe it was just a rumor. I feel like uh, this could be, you know, a new season of Breaking Bad, except based around fried chicken or or, or petrol or a gas or something. Yeah, two two gas station owners, rival gas station owners in there. Yeah, so... Where, so where is this it, happening in the States? I believe this was in, yeah, this was in Kentucky. Yeah. Do they like Corbin, guns in Kentucky and like Corbin, Kentucky and stuff? Oh, like, the South in 1930. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, I kind of, this is the thing. I was, yeah, you this know, is fine. yeah, that's how they settle their, settle their hash. At this time, it was like, obviously not like today where, I mean, finding a restaurant when you are, like if you're a traveling salesman, finding a good place to eat wasn't always an easy thing. Sometimes there are people, you know, you just stop by their house, they put up a sign or whatever, and you just enjoy a meal with them. So that's how Sanders, um, people were continually asking him, where where can I eat? You know, they'd stop for gas and they say, where can I get a bite to eat? uh, Yeah, we haven't even got to the fried chicken part of this yet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Eventually, he gets the bright idea. He's like, well, I should just start making them food. And so he starts inviting him to eat at his own table. Um, And then as this sort of... Because he lives in the gas station. Yeah, he lives in the gas station. So as this started to become successful, he then had his own little, um, opened his own little cafe in there. Mm-hmm. And then um, as it was going really well, he bought, there was a motel across the street. Uh, he turned into a 142 seat restaurant. And uh, yeah, business was booming within five years. So good. And uh, the reputation for his food was so good that the Kentucky um, governor, Ruby Laffin, maybe, yeah. uh, he made, this is where uh, Colonel Sanders became a colonel, a Kentucky colonel, uh, in recognition of his contributions to the state's cuisine 
was the was the thing read off. Um, so yeah, that's why. And from that point on, he just started going by Colonel Sanders. Wow. You know, I met a guy who is a Kentucky Colonel. Really? Yeah. Really? What What did he do to earn the distinction? Uh, he was a, like a famous barber. Really? Yeah. He's, he's, like, really? Uh, he has a barber shop in Prague, and I went there, and he's like got the certificate on the wall, and I'm like, huh. what's this? And he's like, oh yeah. So I'm can a, I can I can I ask Kentucky why Colonel. why you were going to a barber shop? Listen, I might not have hair, but I do have a beard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of fun. My uh, my girlfriend bought it for me as a birthday present. It was uh, nice. yeah, it was it was nice, and it was just this this American expat who uh, is yeah. a Kentucky Colonel, and he, it was quite it was quite an interesting thing. He's got like a, a he's called American Barber in Prague is the name of his his shop. It's it's a nice place, and he's a great barber. <laughs> And he also has like a, you know, you can sit there, you have your beard. And he also has like this big, um, he has an agreement with, is Tennessee next to Kentucky? I realize we're getting off topic here, but this is, this oh, is re- reasonable, reasonably close. And he was like, uh, he, he reached out at some point to say like, I think he just, he's one of these guys you could just imagine just ringing them up and being like, hey, do you want to do something together? And so he phones up like Jack Daniels and said, I'm this, you know, American barber in Prague. I'm a Kentucky colonel, blah, blah, blah. And then he got them to send it him like, tons of jack daniels and he's kind of like a mini spokesperson so he's like yeah have you you want a free jack daniels we got all these like 20 different types what do you want and i'm like this is crazy why do you have all of this and he's like oh it's just like promoting jack daniels and just for the record kentucky is right on top of tennessee okay i, I knew they were they close were, together because he was talking about they were that close he's a kentucky colonel unfortunately in 1939 his restaurant burned down uh, <laughs> so he had to kind of start over but he would he was doing well enough that he had the money to start and so he started a new uh, little restaurant cafe selling chicken as you might imagine was his thing and it was along us 25 but the problem was in the early 1950s they uh, rerouted part of uh, junction for for route 25 was rerouted uh-huh. and now like his his customer base just cut dramatically after this so now now his business was actually struggling and then on top of that the final nail in the coffin of this business was when they made uh, interstate 70 which completely bypassed his restaurant by about seven miles then so that was, loyal that was, customers uh that's a long way to go yeah, for chicken yeah exactly and so it was just uh done and so that he, he sold off whatever he could get but it was basically barely enough to cover his debts and everything at that stage and so now he's 62 years old now oh no basically, this is he, so he's been doing yeah. this like 22 years and then he has yeah so and he's bas- basically broke and but he got the bright idea he said all right so my value here is not necessarily just in starting a restaurant but actually my recipes the way i cook it because one thing he was doing he was using one of the problems his his restaurant was so popular and he was having a problem making the chicken fast enough mm-hmm. um and so he he started experimenting with the pressure cooker and sort of like modified uh, one, which was a kind of a new-ish thing, not really used that commonly. And he was able to, to cook the chicken really quickly. And so he thought the method I'm using here is valuable. Um, so maybe I can maybe I can make a business of this. Maybe I can go around to other restaurant owners and be like, here, I'm going to show you how I make this really quickly. It's really delicious. And uh, yeah. And so that's exactly what he did. He hopped in his car, got his pressure cooker, got, you know, a cooler and everything for his chicken. And he just drove around um, sleeping in his car at the time basically broke and he would go his general method so he would go to the restaurant owner he'd say here you go he would demonstrate if they would let him demonstrate cooking they would try it if they liked it he would then try to convince them to let him cook it for customers and then he would go around and you know see what the customers thought and if the customers were really enthusiastic he would try to leverage that to get the owner to ah. basically franchise the model like here it is you can use this method now and you'll you'll get a lot of 
customers from it. Well, he also um, he also had the twelve secret herbs and spices. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which which they, he, that's what they advertise rather than the it's pressure cooked. <laughs> it's like yeah, the exactly herbs and spices. And he was always not necessarily. He always kind of downplayed that a little more back then. <laughs> he was just like, yeah, it's the spices that are on everyone's shelf, so <laughs> it's not. Yeah. So this is actually a sort of a an aside, um, which we'll cover. Maybe Dave Thomas of Wendy's. Are you familiar with Wendy's? Uh, I've I've been to a Wendy's actually when I was in the states oh. a, a long time ago. It was good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dave Thomas was uh, actually a huge figure in sort of the evolution of the fast food restaurant, and he. Um, this is where uh, Colonel Sanders met him. Uh, he was just an employee working somewhere. I don't remember what restaurant, um, and sort of mentored him a little bit. But also Dave Thomas uh, played an integral role in actually saving KFC and sort of introducing some of the things that made it super successful later. And then he leveraged that to then he sold his off his KFC locations and you know founded Wendy's but anyways that's a topic for another day um, is, so. just, is, Wendy, is Wendy's the one with the square burgers am I thinking of that right Yes, yes, okay, it cool. is. Yeah, I've definitely been to a Wendy's. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he's he finally, after driving around, basically broke, sleeping in his car, he finally convinced one Pete Harmon, uh, who owned the Dewdrop Inn in Salt Lake City, to franchise his model, and that was the first one to save him. I think it was something like he would get a nickel for every every meal sold, or something like that. It was sort of the it was a handshake agreement, wasn't even a contract in 1952, uh-huh. um, and that was the first Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. Um, and by 1959, he'd convinced he'd convinced um, a couple hundred other um, people to do the same, wow. and uh, yeah, it was. This uh, guy's that was a also, Yeah, like and it's like in life. his sixties. Yeah. This is when people. Are, this is when people, most people, are retiring, and he's broke. You know, he got nothing, and then he rises up again. And this time, this time, he was he was obviously wealthy for the rest of his life. Although, and this is kind of the funny part, because you know the joke is that you know some people don't like KFC because you know they think it's crap or whatever. Um, so you think like I think those people are, are mistaken. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree. Although there are there are some franchises you go to that are less than quality, but there are other ones that are really good. Um, but so he sells in 1964. He's what? What was he? Probably 70 something at that time. He just decided to he would cash out. He sold it for um, sold his stake for two million dollars, which is about 16 million dollars today. Plus, he was guaranteed a salary of at least forty thousand per year in the, um, for the rest of his life. That's a lot. Yeah, that was about three hundred thousand dollars per year, and Whoa. I think later they upped it to like seventy five thousand and in exchange for that salary he, uh for the rest of his life he would stay on as a spokesman for kfc oh that's cool but the problem was like um, almost immediately after he sells right you know corporate please don't take tell over, me he right? dies. please don't tell me he dies immediately after just making his huge huge fortune after this no. whole life of toil <laughs> no but uh but uh, he he wasn't happy he did not he actually lived for quite some time Good. after this but but yeah so they basically started taking his recipes tweaking it how can we make it cheaper basically oh, this, yeah um, oh no so they ruined yeah and so he's supposed to be the spokesman for kfc but he was like the most ardent like they're turning it into crap and so like one of the things he particularly hated was the what they branded the original recipe which was not his recipe um which he called fried dough balls stuck on some chicken oh yeah and then he also uh, noted of the gravy what they did he said um do you want to read this quote yeah, I got it. My God, that gravy is horrible. They bu- uh, they buy tap water for fifteen to twenty cents a thousand gallons, and they mix it with flour and starch, and end up with pure wallpaper paste. <laughs> you know what's interesting? This- we don't we don't have gravy in uh, European KFCs. Gravy is not a thing. 
And, and like, is it not a thing anywhere? Nope. Like, like we have gravy, but you'd have wow. it like on a on a roast chicken or like a, a Sunday dinner, not a that's, not that's at KFC. I remember it. And, and you and don't you have, have ranch. Do you, you probably don't have ranch either. Yeah. Uh, no, we did. Was, did we discuss ranch best? this episode or yeah. previous episode? Yeah. No, that was this one. I yeah. think we got some ranch. I think, on. but the yeah, breaded chicken ranch. That's like a great combination. Dip it, dip it in there. Buttermilk breaded ranch. Chicken. Okay, it's I gotta get on this ranch. I, you know, I will pop to that American store, and if they don't have it, you I had to have had it. When we went when we went to Buffalo Wild Wings, right? Like you had to have had ranch there because you know, Buffalo Wings you can't you can practically. I mean, there's blue cheese, of course, but ranch is the other staple. Of buffalo dipping. I definitely had the blue cheese, and I definitely had some barbecue. I don't think I'd have thought to order ranch, and I think at that point uh, this was when we were in the states. Like I was in the states with David last year. I don't think at that point you'd have been, you know, because you only discovered that ranch wasn't a thing. Yeah. Here when we went to Amsterdam together a couple of weeks ago. So back then you'd yeah. be like, yeah, of course, he just doesn't, he just didn't opt for yeah. ranch today. It's not like, you got to try this yeah. ranch. In response to the uh, the little uh, pure wallpaper paste. Oh, uh, someone, the company, a, a company executive, executive I got this one as well. Uh, yeah. They respond, let's face it, the Colonel's gravy was fantastic, but you had to be a Rhodes Scholar to cook it. Yeah, that's a, so they don't even deny that they're that their gravy is crap. <laughs> they're just like, yeah, yeah, it was better before, but whatever. Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, so poor Colonel. Yeah. So he actually started to not like to be the spokesman of the company because he just didn't like what they were doing with the food. So he he decided to start a new chicken restaurant. And so, but this became a problem because KFC was like, no, you can't start a chicken restaurant with like your old recipes. Uh, so well, they sued did they her. have a non compete or whatever? I don't know. They mu- actually they must not have had anything legally binding because well they uh, apparently they were interfering with his business in some way. I yeah. I couldn't actually find in what way they were doing it. I assume trying to shut him down some way. Maybe oh, just wait, harassing so, him. Wait, hang on. So Colonel Sanders sued them i see the suing thing and i was like oh sure yeah. it's kfc suing him nope he sued them no, he but... sued them for basically interfering with his company for 122 million dollars yeah, yeah, i guess yeah, he's so gonna be fishing right <laughs> i mean that's... yeah he was i think it partially reflected his anger at what was happening with kfc uh, as well so but anyways they they settled out of court for a million dollars an additional million which i mean he, he only sold kfc for two million in the first place so this was a nice payday for him wait and uh, also i assume at this point this has been nothing mentioned about them stop him stopping paying him that forty thousand yeah, no, dollars per year he's still gonna be making yeah he's that. still he still functioned as their spokesman he still makes the money and they they eventually upped him i think it was to seventy five thousand. uh so what whatever that would have been wow kfc really needed this dude yeah and they i mean this was the thing is like he was constantly complaining about them in the media as well but he was also <laughs> a great spokesman like he would still go you know and do the publicity stuff so yeah. you know they kept him around and so if you're curious the restaurant he started though at the claudia sanders dinner house yeah uh, it's still around. You can go to it. It's in Shelbyville, Kentucky, if you're in the region. Um, go check I, it out. I, I'm not, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if you're listening and you are. Yeah, so uh, yeah, despite his issues with the management, he just continued to be their spokesman, and he died at the age of ninety in 1980. Wow, 1919. Yeah. I'm glad he lived for some time afterwards because he worked really hard, and then he finally made it. Yeah, he got to finally enjoy it for what about 20 years, two decades, 25 years or so. Yeah. So, so hold on the the restaurant he started. This is the one he started to compete with KFC. It's still there. Yeah today and it's called this uh, claudia sanders dinner house claudia 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 sanders dinner house so this place i think i think claudia claudia was his wife's name at the time he was married a couple times but that was i think his last wife there so this place would arguably be if it sells fried chicken the fried chicken that is closest to what the colonel 
had intended it to be. Presumably, unless they've changed the recipe in the interim, but, you know, it hasn't been that long. You know, it's been a few decades since he died. I mean, you would think it's probably run by his descendants if they, unless they sold it off or something. Do you know what I'm looking at right now? <laughs> I'm looking at their menu. <laughs> oh, yeah. They have the Kentucky Chef salad. I'm not seeing a lot of fried chicken. I'm seeing uh, chicken wings fried with or without buffalo so- sauce or hot bourbon sauce. I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed by the lack of, uh, of fried chicken on here. Oh, I'm going down. Two pieces of fried chicken served with mashed potatoes, milk, gravy, and vegetable of choice. Claudia's chicken uh, special. You know, if we're ever out there doing a, 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 a mini documentary yeah. or something, this is this has got to be a stop. We've got to, yeah, we've got to have an excuse to go to Kentucky for something. I would, I would call this an excuse. Yeah. We do have some bonus facts, though. I love that Kentucky story. I think it's just I also yeah. love that 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 brand. I love the, the food. Yeah. I love it's it's. Well, nice then he never stopped. You know, he just he just kept going. Yeah. Like all sorts of different jobs, whatever he needed to do. Even though the executives ruined it, apparently. I want him, the original one must have been amazing. It must have. Apparently, the gravy was good. Even the executive <laughs> didn't deny that it was better. <laughs> he didn't have any Rhodes scholars. I should maybe mention. I don't know. Maybe it's too late now. But the uh, he did as a part of the spokesman thing. He would also he liked to go surprise visits to KFC franchises and yeah. then go critique critique their cooks and their their job and obviously most of the time he didn't have good things to say but just like he would just pop into random kfcs and be like yeah i'm in surprise inspection people would be like you're the guy from the picture it's like wearing his white suit with that weird bow tie and the glasses yeah yeah where are we going with these bonus facts so if in the 1980s, if if the story of the trading for Volkswagen Beetles wasn't funny enough for Domino's, oh, the Domino's Pizza, one, yeah, yeah. So uh, do you did you are you familiar with this advertisement? The uh, the Noid they tried to have like their little McDonald's hamburglar type person for Domino's. Honestly, I'm not sure even the hamburglar was a thing over here because really? I'm pretty much only familiar with the hamburglar from The Simpsons. Okay, like yeah, the so crusty they... burglar or whatever it was, there was something. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Domino's Pizza decided to kind of rip off the idea, so they had the Noid. It was this character who would steal pizzas uh, in commercials and ad campaigns. And so they had this thing called Avoid the Noid, right? Yeah, it sounds <laughs> so, bad already. So there's this guy, 1989, this guy by the name of Kenneth Lamar Noid. Oh, he's got <laughs> the same name. Okay, yeah. Dom- it's a personal <laughs> yeah, attack he, against he became him. Con- yeah, the Domino's was referring to him for some reason. Uh, and so he thought it was a personal <laughs> attack. So he goes he goes to a Domino's pizza location and he uh, he takes the two employees there hostage. That escalated quickly yeah and it was a, let's see what it was in atlanta's domino's pizza restaurant and yeah. so yeah for five hours he's holding these employees hostage and ironically during it he made them make him pizza which you know he's eating without paying so he was stealing pizza yeah just like just like the character of the noid oh, um, oh no so finally, he eventually surrenders to pol- the police. And then, yeah. Um, so, yeah, he Kenneth Noid really was uh, stealing pizza from Donald's. I, I really hope that afterwards they kept referring to it as, you know, <laughs> avoid the Noid. And then, you know, I'm sure for legal reasons, they couldn't actually be like, look what happens. Now this guy, he did steal the pizza. I'd just like, yeah. if I was in their marketing department, I'd constantly, like I'd rename the Noid like K-Noid. Like Kenneth Noid. Yeah. But, you know, just keep it really <laughs> subtle and always keep digging at him i'm assuming he's in prison at this point so you don't really have to worry yeah. about him taking anyone else hostage yeah i think i think he, uh, obviously he must have had like some mental problems right so i, probably, I did want to say yeah, the reality is he's probably just needs some help. yeah the <laughs> the reality is he probably this story probably has a really sad ending that we you don't want to look into yes but uh, yeah it's funny in you know abstract it's very ironic <laughs> going back to let's see um 
KFC in Ooh. Japan. I don't know if people are familiar with uh, how big the kernel is in Japan. Is that is that I don't know. I'm only I mean I'm know? only familiar because we did a video about uh, Christmas Christmas KFC Christmas. Yeah, is yeah. So uh, well, yeah, well, let's jump to that one. That's okay. the next one. Oh, was that the next uh, one? So I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to jump ahead. I just all, all I know <laughs> when people say KFC in Japan is I know they eat it on Christmas and it's a very people yeah. queue and they order ahead. Yeah, and it's crazy. You look at like pictures of this and they're just like wrapped around the block where you're just like waiting in line at KFC to get your Christmas dinner and it's like a thing you have to order ahead and everything uh, to make sure you get it and yeah so this this that that actually christmas tradition goes back to the 1970s um it's not really clear like how like the corporate story is that some customer somewhere in japan um i'm not sure how to pronounce that a aoma japan yeah i'm gonna go with that yeah uh, <laughs> enough. i don't know did i yeah, tell so you some guy did he write on the forum i think uh forums out.com about how i should pronounce or you can just go for pronunciations of things <laughs> yeah you know because in the last one we were sarcastically saying like if you want to pronounce in french you just say like french accent and he's like actually yeah. that's a pretty good idea because generally you kind of by doing the accent you kind of get the pronunciation right so we could do like I stereotypical think, japanese I, accents but i don't know but i think when you start to go like the stereotypical japanese or, or chinese accent it all uh, i think because there was the time when it was like a very mocked thing at least in the u.s that they probably would assumed to be mocked perhaps yes yeah i think there's that thing whereas like, whereas everyone can make everyone everyone can make fun of the french and no one gets upset about it except for the french probably because it's yeah. like a much more maybe it's not maybe yeah. france will will get in trouble but <laughs> <laughs> we'll look at our french we've itunes done. reviews it'll be like wow yeah, these guys are racist <laughs> we should actually look at that because we have done lots of the french uh, accent things but yeah uh, so anyways they they said the corporate says that uh, some customer that was like all right so you can't get a turkey dinner in japan it's just not a thing a turkey chicken dinner whatever so fried chicken the next best thing so he was all right i'm gonna do this at kfc case fried chicken and somehow this percolated up to the corporate offices who i mean they may have just made up the whole story and just might have just been an idea that they came up with it was like hey you know this is like a thing everyone has fri- or a chicken dinner you know or a turkey dinner or whatever on christmas so let's just like push it because Mm -hmm. Um, American culture was starting to be like a thing in Japan at the time popular so hey let's push this in Japan and see what happens and so they did and it was just like massively successful just like a ludicrously popular uh, ad campaign it was a Kentucky for Christmas and uh, yeah it's still crazy popular to this day and um, actually I as an aside story we actually ever since I did the article on this one a long time ago that's actually what my I was hoping you would share this story yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and it's totally the best because you don't you know normally you cook that big like holiday holiday dinner you got all the dishes and it's a lot of work to cook or you can just go to kfc which is totally open on like christmas and christmas eve here at least well um, it, and it's it's open is it, is it like normal for fast food places to open on christmas day in the states uh some like uh, mcdonald's is usually jack-in-the-box um some kfc's um yeah so yeah so we just go there and hmm. they, they close early or whatever on christmas eve but yeah go there get the get the food no cooking no dishes and it's like i don't really get kfc that often so it's delicious i'm thinking of doing it for lunch today after this after this conversation yeah uh, totally coming up for about an hour from yeah. now for me so i'm like mm, sad. We, we don't have dominoes here and after that dominoes in in amsterdam we're kind of like nah, dominoes is not that great but kfc yeah, yeah I, I by the way i looked it up uh, while we were chatting we do not have any french itunes reviews which is probably for the best <laughs> yeah um, well i think it's got to be worse to having a british person do it because you know probably. yeah because of the history you know the 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 centuries of warring <laughs> there was another kfc japan fact 
Yeah, the, uh, it's a long and sort of niche baseball one. Maybe it's not. There's the Curse of the Colonel. It's kind of an interesting story, but I guess if you're not into baseball, maybe not. I'm into KFC, and uh, I don't know if I could say I'm into Japan, but after the, the Kentucky on Christmas one, I'm into Japan. Let's do it. So there's a team called the And the internet's the into Japan, so this yeah, has got to be a absolutely. win. Yeah, and baseball is huge in Japan, so maybe the Japanese listeners will like this. <laughs> uh, the In Hanshin Tigers, they're basically sort of, uh, they're in the Nippon League there. Uh, huge, mm-hmm. huge... Um, baseball in japan so uh, after winning the japan series uh, kind of like the american equivalent of why the is, world series is, i'm sorry i know i'm interrupting a lot but why is do you know why is baseball big in japan i don't i think it has something to do with they had some so they used to do the little tours like the world tours um the baseball players major league would go around and i think that's that's kind of how it started they did a tour in japan and it just became popular huh. and it, they the the nippon league i think has been around it's the, I think it's the second oldest uh, baseball league, uh, you know, professional baseball league. I could be I could be mistaken, but it's really old. Like I, I want to say it's like a century old or so. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's huge. Um, and they're they are probably arguably the closest to the major league as far as talent level. Um, there's plenty of players in Japan who are you know every bit as good as any major league player, which uh, Shoei Otani uh, just moved over. And he actually is better, uh, seemingly with his because he pitches and hits amazingly well on both. Um, but anyways, that's a that's yeah. Now track. we're getting specific. I'm like, Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he pitches yeah. and no. hits. All those he's pitches a, and hits. He's amazing. Went to the Angels instead of the Mariners, very unfortunately. Yeah, he did. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, after winning the Japanese uh, Japan Series in 1985, they went out. The fans went out celebrating, you know, going around. And during the during the process of this, so at the KFCs in Japan, I'll have a, a little statues, little plastic statues of Colonel Sanders outside. And someone grabbed a statue of Colonel Sanders and threw it into the river. Oh, uh, sacrifice. And it was, yeah, supposedly it was because uh, the Colonel Sanders was the closest thing they could find um, to some player. I can't even remember. Whatever the case, they throw they <laughs> throw awesome. the the statue in, and ever since then, oh yeah, apparently it was the American Randy Bass who played for the Tigers at uh-huh. the time. Was it? I, I don't know. No. Uh, so, anyways, they throw they throw the statue in, and directly after that, the Tigers suffer eighteen consecutive losing seasons, oh, and so it's it's called it's the Curse, curse of the Colonel. Yeah. Curse yeah, of the Colonel. And so finally, get this. Yeah, in two thousand, let's see, what was it? Two thousand nine. Yeah. To tr- to try to break the curse, they actually dredged up to find the original statue thrown in the river and they found it but not all the pieces yet so like some people are like oh yeah that broke the curse because we're going to put it back but they haven't actually found I think like the hands still missing or something. Wait but did it break yes. the curse? Are they, are they winning again or are they still losing? Uh, no I don't think they have but no. um, they have, they've had some good seasons since then but not they haven't won the Japan, Japan I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and probably say it's got nothing to do with the guy in the, the, the kernel in the river but yeah you know. but it's a it's a fun you know like the kind of like the curse of the Bambino type thing with the yeah. Red Sox. Just and col- color me skeptic, but it's fun. Yeah, statue thrown in the river. I like it. I like it. I'm, yeah, I don't know anything about baseball, but it's a fun story. It's a bonus fact. That's what happens at yeah. this point of the episode. So let us know what you think of this new format. Obviously, it's a little bit different to, you know, just, uh, well, it's the same thing, just split up, like I waffled on about at the beginning of this episode. So if you like this, let us know what you think. Do leave us an iTunes review. Do you remember if you leave us an iTunes review, we are going to give away a gift voucher, an Amazon gift voucher when we get to 100 reviews so head on over give us a review let us know what you think you can email us podcast at todayifoundout.com and all of that good stuff we'll be back at some point because while we work out the exact schedule for this i can't really say when but there will be new episodes of brain food soon so uh stay tuned and as always thanks for listening mm-hmm.